You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud native DevOps. These episodes are edited down audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support. It means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. In this episode, I'm joined by Laura Taco and Nermo Mehta. Laura is an engineering leadership coach, which we will get into in this episode. And Nermal now works at AWS as a principal specialist solutions architect. Nermal and I were at KubeCon recently, and we had talked about the idea of doing another show together because both of them have been on my show many times. And they're just good friends. Both are Docker captains, both are community leaders, and are educating others in many different ways. So we have started this trend of each December we do a DevOps best of for the year and everyone brings their topics. We mix them all up and we try to get through all of it in around an hour. And I think we pulled it off pretty well this year. The major topics in this episode are vast, including things like my opinion on this is the year of desktop GUIs for containers because we have a lot of choices now. The return to in real life conferences, which was a big thing for me because that's one of my biggest ways to give back to the community as well as meet other people in the community. And I'm so glad to get back to KubeCon and other conferences. Other topics like some of the DevOps company booms this year, including Docker reaching a significant revenue milestone. Other companies like GitLab and HashiCorp having great year-over-year revenue growth. And we cover some rapid topics around DevOps and developer survey trends for the year that I thought was insightful and that others added in their opinions on some of these stats. And after some other CNCF major happenings, we get into our final conversation around the year of AI, ML, and data platforms. Now, that last part, we didn't get near as much time to talk about. We quite frankly should have an entire episode. And I think one trend you will see in 2023 from this show is the more companies I have on claiming to have AI-like features. Now, AI and machine learning kind of go hand in hand, but we've seen a lot this year, including several big releases of products for consumers that use generative AI for chat, like the recent chat GPT. We've seen image generation with things like stable diffusion, and the consumer industry is now understanding some of the potential benefits of AI. But what about us and DevOps? Well, it turns out there's at least now uh, a half a dozen or more companies that are all claiming to do things, whether it's from monitoring your infrastructure to controlling your infrastructure to more intelligent alerting. There's a bunch going on there, and they all claim to be using machine learning and some level of AI-like decision-making on the behalf of computers to act more like humans. And I think that's something that we're going to talk more about in the next year. We save it to the end because it was a vast topic. I even threw out some nice images that I will put in the show notes that I asked the Stable Diffusion 
project to create, including things like give me an image of DevOps friends at a conference and silly stuff like that that just ends up being crazy looking images that are, quite frankly, nightmare fuel in some cases. So we had a great time in this show. I hope you enjoy this rapid overview of what our hot takes are on 2022, the year's most significant DevOps happenings. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, all the things this month, Festivus. And we're just going to get to it. Enough of talking about all of my other stuff going on. This week is a special year-end wrap-up. And for the second or third year in a row, I've got my special guests. We've got Laura, Taco, and then I have Nermal Meta. Welcome. Hey, Brett. Hello, hello, hello. So Laura is an engineering leadership coach, and I'm sure later we'll talk about a little bit about her coaching program that you can get into if you're an engineering leader or a team leader or whatever. And Nermal is now at AWS. He's a principal specialist solutions architect at AWS. That's correct. And you we got were, it right, Brett. That's fancy. And we were both it's at word KubeCon, too. and he is definitely a specialist. He's definitely principal, and he was killing it at the mm -hmm. AWS booth with all the demos. Awesome. All right, so we're going to jump right in. So the goal of this show is not just for the three of us to hang out, because we're all Docker captains that knew each other from, I don't know, seven, six years ago, something like that, a long time ago. But basically, let's wrap up tech, but specifically DevOps for the year, and maybe things that were important to us or things that we think are relevant that we maybe have discussed on this show or in previous podcasts. These two fine people added some topics. I added a whole bunch last minute. So a lot of this is actually unscripted and we're just going to kind of get our take on it. The first one, I just want to get it out of the way because I think it only came to me when I started listing all these GUIs, which is, I feel like it's the year of desktop GUIs for container dev and cloud native management. It seems silly, like, okay, so what? But this year we have Docker desktop extensions, which is amazing. I think it's probably the best feature of Docker desktop all year. Have you all tried any of the extensions? I've tried the Portainer one and it's awesome. Which... Yeah is actually the most popular one, actually. I was going to tell you. Oh, like, I didn't know surprise. that. Surprise. Uh, it has yeah, like four times more sense. installs than the next third party, third party extension. It has more, like four times more installs than anything else. Or Pertainer is the winner of the extensions race for 2022. Yeah, I think it's still, there's still a lot of room for exploration there, but I really like that, the extension model for sure. Yeah, I think it's kind of made Docker desktop GUI. I mean, obviously it makes it more useful, but for those of us that, we're diehard CLI fans. Like the three of us all started Docker when there was no GUI. I mean, we had Kitematic, but you know, we didn't really use that, right? We're using mm -hmm. the, the command line. And we got this new GUI a couple of years ago. Docker started investing more and more into it. And I feel like a lot of us weren't paying attention because it was just, we're like, okay, it can do some of what I can do with the command line, but we all already know the command line. And now I feel like, okay, finally extensions is the reason to jump into the GUI. By the way, we mm -hmm. had a show on that this year. Docker came on the show. We showed off a bunch of extensions. Portainer came on the show. We showed off their extension. Slim AI came on the show. We showed off their extension. Trivi, I think this Sneak. They were all on the show this year. It seemed like all showing off their stuff. And yeah, Portainer is like 24,000 installs in six months or something. Mm -hmm. Slim, I think Trivi was the next most popular one. But then we have Rancher Desktop, yeah. Podman Desktop, which I just learned about. Eric Smalling of Sneak pointed out to me Podman Desktop, which now... Rancher Desktop, Podman Desktop, and Docker Desktop basically all do the same thing. They install Docker or a similar tool. They install Kubernetes. They let you, and now even the Podman one actually lets you use Docker extensions, which in it, which crazy 
combination of technologies there. But we have Lens. I think a lot of you probably know Lens for Kubernetes run by Mirantis. But that has now gone to a paid model. So they actually have paid cloud features. And they have now, in case you're curious, there's an open source version of called OpenLens in case you don't want to use the paid model. We have the K9s, which people love to point out to me. All the command line heroes there love to point out K9s for its I use that shell a GUI. lot in, in my demos. Just I think I saw you of, do that demo. I, I think I used it when I came back, when I was on your show earlier this year. I had K9s up for the Carpenter demo because it's like really quick to see what's going on and like have a good representation of what's happening on your cluster. And then there's like another one I just added to our notes here, but it's called KUI, K-U-I. Okay. And that's a graphic desktop client or GUI that's on top of a Kubernetes TUI, if you will. So you can put commands okay. in and then it graphically represents the output. I don't know how to better describe that than that. It's an awful description. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I want to see what that looks like. It looks like it's made by engineers. <laughs> yes. It's yeah. it's kind of like a Jupyter notebook meets Kubernetes, like is one way of describing it. What are, Normal, what are you using this for that you wouldn't use a different tool for? Well, I wasn't aware that there was an open source version of K8. So okay. I was looking for alternate alternates, but this is nice because it keeps a record of the commands. So you're basically running, like, just like a, if you've used like Jupyter notebooks for, you know, data spelunking, if you yeah. will. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Data <laughs> stuff. It's the same kind of thing where you're putting in the commands and then you're getting like visual representation. Like you can see the pods and you can see the YAML, Got it. but it's all interactive, which is nice at the same time. So that's pretty cool. I think one of the reasons I like A9 is you still have like the command line stuff in there a little bit. You're still putting the mm -hmm. like the words in, and that's good to know just what the resources you're trying to look for in Kubernetes, what the commands you're kind of running behind the scenes, because inevitably you'll end up having to run a command line cube cuddle uh, <laughs> command at some point. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So GUIs, it's a thing. It's like, definitely. Go, go check the, them out. These are a thing. I, I think it's a response to, it's finally a good response to the gap between dev and operations with respect to Kubernetes. And I think the GUI, like the explosion of container and Kubernetes GUIs is a response to that need for that more dev-oriented tooling for sure. Well, and as we trickle down, right, as the laggards who maybe aren't the most elite Neo-Vim people, as they adopt all these tools too, because these are now, I consider pretty IT mainstream, they're, yeah, they're either going to have to use one of these or going to have to take my course. <laughs> yeah. Or both. I think the bottom line on GUIs is like GUIs, not just for people who don't know <laughs> CLI anymore. Whereas before, I, you know, it's kind of like when I think about a GUI for Git, it absolutely does not appeal to me because I learned, you know, you learn things on the command line and why would you ever switch? And for a long time, it was that way for Docker as well. But I think now we've reached that that crescent where the GUI is actually adding something that the CLI can't. So it's worth checking out. Yeah, I try not to shame folks in terms of what approach they have to computers because totally. I think or yeah. I think information is like we have all our senses, right? And there's some rep like some ways visual representation of data is more important, right? So we're going to be talking about yeah. potentially open telemetry later and observability. Mm -hmm. 
and that this will come up again there. But I think this is just you know for folks that need a visual way of seeing what's going on in their cluster and to operate it. You know, yeah, it's good. I think it's all good things for sure. All good things. Good things. Brett, what's next on the list of good things? In real life conferences. So I want to just celebrate for a minute that we're actually, (laughs) we did have technically a KubeCon last year, but it was in LA. I hear it was like a thousand people. We've now had many, like a lot of the conferences that I'm aware of that didn't completely just go away forever are actually doing in real life stuff. So I Mm. feel like we're slowly getting there, but I feel like this was really the year, like last year was a little too early. So I'm going to, I'm going to call it the, the, the year of in real life conferences coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was good to see folks for sure. Next Check. topic. I'm lumping a bunch of stuff here, but DevOps company boom and bust. So I don't really have any busts on this list, like the demise of something other than Jenkins. <laughs> it's part of the survey, but the survey, I was reading a survey recently, one of the larger ones. I can't even remember the company name, but it was one of the, like, the CI companies or the security companies or something. And they said that of thousands of people they surveyed, Jenkins use was declining and GitHub actions was rapidly increasing. So I mm-hmm. look at that as like, I'm just going to correlate the two and say people, like I've been advocating for a couple of years now, like they, they're they getting rid of Jenkins and going to a SaaS model where they don't have to maintain all the infrastructure and back it up and test restores and all that kind of stuff, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. You think Jenkins will actually ever all the way go away? No. Never, no. no. So as soon as you have a development team that is responsible for writing configurations for a particular tool, I think that the the pain of switching is just so high that sure, I think new, you know, and I think the rise of GitHub Actions is specifically with new projects at companies that already have a very robust Jenkins infrastructure. They're just not bothering to put it on Jenkins. It's just like, we're just going to use GitHub Actions and see how far that takes us. And then surprise it actually takes you all the way there in a lot of cases but yeah jenkins is here jenkins is here to stay jenkins is never going away yeah i think it's i think it's still the essence is that automation is the more important piece and it doesn't like the tools used is aimed at becoming more frictionless or less frictioned removing the friction (laughs) from automated deployment processes is still the goal and jenkins still accomplishes that to a certain extent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that's interesting. The other thing is GitHub Actions, a lot of like on enterprise, on the enterprise side, right? So a lot of places I've worked at in the past were not allowed to use just like GitHub.com or, right. you know, third-party SaaS tools for that. So yeah, that's interesting. But Yeah, offline mm-hmm. or on-prem only. I did have someone mm-hmm. in the course this week actually ask about they said that they have infrastructure that doesn't have access to most things on the internet. The only exceptions are GitHub and GitLab. And so it, it, it was sort of like they, they didn't mention Docker Hub or anything else. They were just like, nope, just these two things. And that's sort of the mm-hmm. so the rise of those two products, GitHub and GitLab, as sort of the end-all, be-all solution for so many things. And that's kind of like my, it's not even really a hot take, but you know, the, the last couple of years, I've seen that there's a consolidation in CI. There's tons of vendors, tons of products, but... People don't want five different CI, I'm going to say automation. People don't want five different automation engines mm-hmm. for their code pipelines. And mm-hmm. they want it as close to their code as possible with the same workflow for editing, changing, adding those workflows. And they want the status in their code. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's why to me, even though GitHub Actions isn't as good in some cases as other more purpose-built CIs or even 
Like I know a lot of mm-hmm. fans of Azure DevOps that love Azure DevOps and are not really ready for GitHub Actions yet. But I feel like that it being right next to your code, right where your developers live and having that actions panel right in the interface is like their biggest, like they don't have to be the best technically. They're, if your code mm-hmm. lives there, that's going to be your default. That's my take on it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we see that in the industry in general, where we have these periods of specialization and purpose-built software that's very focused on one specific use case. And then we have this big consolidation movement where it's more important that just everything is sitting together. And then once we have those consolidated workflows, it becomes obvious that we have new use cases or new problems to solve. And then we end up fanning out into all this purpose-built software. And then the cycle just continues to repeat itself forever and ever into infinity. So next year, we're going to be talking about the same thing, I'm sure, just with different tools. And what do you want to call this, this theory that you just presented? Is it Laura's like rubber band theory of technology adoption or or something like that? I think that's a great, it's my Laura's rubber band theory of market consolidation and technology adoption. There we go. It's a little long, but I'll come up with an acronym and then we can copyright it. There we go. You heard it here first. Yeah. I think that's a sign of health. I think the booms you've presented is like, I think all of this is a really good sign of health. I think this is like mm-hmm. a healthy space for continued innovation. I think it gets easier and easier to start building like scaled out new technologies and new software and deploying it in all kinds of different environments on the edge, in cloud, wherever, mm-hmm. all the time. And I think we're seeing the ecosystem maturing and also like creating that platform for continued innovation. And I know we're going to get to a topic around that a little bit later in this discussion, hopefully, but Mm -hmm. I think all these technologies like GitHub Actions and making it easier to consolidate your infrastructure as code and all that, all the artifacts and assets that are related to that unit of work in one place is key to organizational change with respect to DevOps, which is crucial. And it's also key to being able to scale whatever mm-hmm. someone's working out on to great lengths that we're seeing today. Yeah, I think some people can interpret all this movement as chaos because it, it can feel very chaotic at times when you're in the middle of it. And I think other like web development areas such as front end also get that same kind of same bad rap of like, oh, there's always something new and shiny. Things are changing all the time, but things are changing all the time because people are you know, they're moving up on the problem ladder and they're having more problems to solve and different problems to solve that need more tools. So I think your point, Normal, about this is a sign of a healthy ecosystem is really true. If we didn't have more problems to solve, we wouldn't need the tools. And more problems to solve means that people are actually using the stuff. And the pace of innovation is not slowing. So if you want to be at near the tip of yeah, the spear, very- you're going to be changing out all these tools on a constant basis. So, yeah. So what are some of the other trends you that you saw? Well, on the uh, the boom and bust real quick, I wanted to mention that the three headlines that I put in, because these we're talking about a lot of these same tools. GitLab, 70% year-over-year growth in revenue. HashiCorp, 52% year-over-year growth in revenue. Docker, thanks, Laura, for putting this one on there. Docker's triumphant rise from the ashes to go from nearly bankrupt to 100 million <laughs> annual recurring revenue. So that number is not public. I'm not sure if you saw the Cube interview, if that, is that's where it was mentioned. But um, yeah, I saw it on Twitter, actually. I was also I was like, oh, I need to do a little due diligence. But I saw someone wrote an article on it. And I think it was all all over Twitter as well. So I don't know if that's the right number or a public number. But even if it's not the right one, 
I think that we saw, I mean, we've all been with Docker the whole, I mean, the whole ride, right? We were there when it was the unicorniest unicorn to every unicorn. And then kind of watching how difficult it was to come up with a sustainable business model for an open source tech company. But now I'm really impressed with just like the grit that it took to get that company back to a really healthy state mm-hmm. and also back to the kind of that initial vision of developer tools and really there for developer community. I think that's, I'm so happy to see it. Right. Yeah, there was plenty Absolutely. of times they could have sold, they could have folded, they could have, you know, they would have sold the assets to some other company, Microsoft. Totally. We all joke about how they, you know, rumor was they Microsoft offered them a lot of money long ago when they were overvalued and they turned it down. Nobody knows if that's true, at least on the outside. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm glad they didn't become a footnote in some other company and that they are, uh, you yeah. know, some other giant dominant force and that they are still doing their own thing. But yeah, other trends. So to Nermal's point, developer and DevOps trends. So I actually found a great article. This is all, these are all linked in a Google doc that we'll put this in the show notes. The Dora. So an interesting thing was a surprisingly broad adoption. This is from the Dora report, Google's Dora 2022. Surprisingly broad adoption of newer and emerging security concepts of practices. In fact, a majority of respondents reported at minimum some level of adoption of every practice the Dora team asked about. DevSops has made it? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> we're done. We're, we're done. done. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I think this with this one here, though, like the DevOps Institute on theirs, they interviewed and they, or they asked a bunch of people, like usual, the thousands of respondents or whatever, what are the most important skills that those people consider for today and the future in IT? And number one was security, which how mm-hmm. that's usually, at least in my worldview, usually not top priority. It's usually a, it's only there when it's mandated by some other forces sometimes. Mm-hmm. Cloud. So so for those that are asking about DevOps and like, you know, on their journey to learning DevOps or getting into SRE or whatever, top five, if you're listening to this, is security, cloud platforms, container orchestration architecture, and then application technologies, whatever that means, like maybe serverless or something, I guess, but. Interesting. So I'm not surprised by the security. I think the cybersecurity incidents of this past year, let's say like last two years, a lot of them have gone way more mainstream than just in like in our bubbles. And also from like a public sector kind of point of view, there's been a concerted effort to revitalize the cybersecurity posture of the U.S. federal government for sure, but also all of its vendors. Things like the CMMI and like the requirements for software bill of materials and proving that you have secure software supply chains. I think those things are becoming much more mainstream ideas or mandates, or I guess you could say like things that are important. (laughs) within the DevOps community and the overall application development community, whether that's being dictated by policy or just because of like these major, you know, increase in cybercrime that's been happening. And vulnerabilities, right? The number of vulnerabilities every year. Vulnerability. Yeah. yeah, So security is kind of like a infinite problem, right? And Mm -hmm. And security in depth is important. So I think it's also a realization that security is important across all these other skills as well right it's like used to be where you turned on like tls like at the end of developing something right Mm -hmm. 
But nowadays, pretty much we've actually switched to more best practices early on, which I think is a good thing. Right. But one has to know. TLS instead of, yeah. Yeah. Instead of it being an add on. Yeah. But like yeah. as an example. <laughs> the number of security podcasts we've had on this show, if there's one theme for the tools and the products, companies, startups, all be on, mm-hmm. on this show every week, like I'd say at least a third of them are security focused. We had ChainGuard on, we had Aqua Security on, just a ton of projects. We're having, we're going to have Falco on a security tool, uh, lots of eBPF talk, which we'll mention here in a minute about trends, mm-hmm. just so much of it. And if it's not a security only thing, there's certainly security topics within every tool that we've had on this show, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's hard to escape it. And I love it because a lot of us have been just beating the drum and you know people aren't necessarily hacked or they're not aware they're hacked. So until they have horrible experiences, sometimes they're just not going to jump on the bandwagon until they just really, until, some, until they get hacked, until their company's in the news or whatever. And mm-hmm. that wasn't happening enough for enough people to really care. And I feel like if you watch sort of the Australian security guy that has the Have I Been Pwned site, Have I Been Pwned, it's a website where you can go and you can put your email address in and you get notifications whenever a public database with your information, like your email address gets exposed. And the only thing you're giving them is your email address. And you can even type in a password and they'll tell you whether that's in a database or not and stuff like that. Yeah, Troy Hunt, Troy thank Hunt. you, not Troy Tony. Hunt. I knew it, yeah, Troy Hunt. So if you're interested in security trends and security stuff, Troy Hunt, look it up. He's got courses. He's got, I think he's got podcasts, at least one. He's the kind of guy that's interviewed on TV for security. But just the pace at which I get those emails now and the alerts, just, it's staggering. It's staggering and it's hard to ignore. Anyway, yeah, we could talk, we could have a whole show on security. But yeah, I think the other thing, the last thing I was going to say on that, by the way, was that I think one thing that's really helped is that we're now seeing more security stuff happen without us doing anything. So Dependabot is alerting you without... You know, I think at most you have to click a button to enable it in GitHub. So it's warning you mm-hmm. about vulnerabilities and updates. On AWS, for example, now, I, I did it this year or maybe last year. If you accidentally put an AWS auth key in GitHub, you get an email from AWS and a phone call and a text, which I got saying, you have just released one of your keys into the wild and open source on GitHub. So like there's these things happening that I did not set up. I didn't have to be a security expert. It's just telling me. And I think that's, that I, that's my hope is that's part of it. Like eight NPM. I think when you do NPM stuff now, it'll sometimes tell you this is for Node.js community. It'll say you have so many packages out of date and this many vulnerabilities. Like it, you won't have to run the command. It will just tell you. So, um, that's mm-hmm. one of my, I feel like part of the trend is, oh, and Docker desktop now shows you vulnerabilities in all your images in the GUI by default. You don't have to do, go do anything. It will show you some of the flags, not everything but it'll show you some stuff there as well. So I'm a fan of all that yeah. security by default. Such though. a big difference when, yeah, when you don't have to go looking for it, security by default is great, so. So I think this is the round of rapid fire real quick. We're gonna go through Kubernetes and CNCF major happenings. Stop me if you have comments. I'm just gonna try to get through a lot of them so we can get to some new topics. Kubernetes at the at KubeCon. So uh, the KubeCon, obviously the, the, there's, a bunch, there's a keynote every day. Lots of stuff in the keynote, product announcements. I don't really, I didn't really want to talk too much about product announcements because there's thousands of them this year in the DevOps space. And the one that I wanted to call out though was GitOps. Flux and Argo both graduated the CNCF program. So I feel like GitOps has grown up. Like that's a sign Mm -hmm. that the two biggest tools in the ecosystem are now graduated, which there's not graduated tools in every part of the ecosystem yet. So it's actually wild that GitOps is still a relatively new topic, but both of them have graduated and 
there's probably it's probably a reason for that, but it's you probably one to focus on it. But rapid adoption. Yeah. Rapid yeah, adoption. Yeah, the logos are everywhere. When I go to any DevOps site, they have the Argo logo somewhere on that site. Oh. Like we support Argo. Like it's just it's becoming a staple. By the way, I'm starting a, thanks to Laura pushing me, I am starting a course on Maven and it's going to be about Argo and GitHub Actions for Kubernetes deployments. Laura also has her own live yeah. course. I teach engineering <laughs> leadership. Tell me what you teach. I teach how to pick the right metrics to measure the performance of your engineering teams. And actually quite a big portion of that is DevOps metrics. It's not totally, we do spend a fair amount of time talking about Kubernetes and Argo and tools like that. If you are interested in learning how to measure impact of your teams and equipping your teams with the ability to make better data-driven decisions about what they work on, then come check out my course. You can go to my website. It's just lauratako.com. Just like brettfisher.io or you.com. I don't remember these days. Brettfisher.com. Yeah. I, I got the .com, so okay. I'm sticking with it. Same, same. Same. Yeah. And that that's just the one of these. So we want to talk about open telemetry, but first I'm going to go through the rapid fire of the other ones. Wasm plus Docker. So WebAssembly in cloud native is a thing this year. Docker announced at KubeCon that they support Wasm now. And it's essentially taking the Wasm binaries, the WebAssembly binaries, making them run on servers, but wrapping them in the container workflow so that we don't, none of us have to create a separate deployment workflow for our WebAssembly apps. We can just put them in an image, the same commands. They run on the server with the same commands. And at the end of it, there's actually a shim in container D that runs the Wasm Edge binary to run your WebAssembly apps on servers for speed, security, smaller images. Anyway, on here we have one of the things I thought was security related, and I'm just going to mention it. We're going to move on. Slim AI at the KubeCon keynote announced that if you start with an image today, like the latest image of something on Docker Hub, if you started with that today versus doing that same thing two years ago, you would now have more... CVEs in your images, more security vulnerabilities in the base image today. And they're using it as sort of an indicator of the rapid incline of vulnerabilities being announced and not yet fixed in the ecosystem. And they talked about how there's more vulnerabilities. We're not fixed. We're not, we're fixing them maybe as fast as we always were, but we, there's so many more that we're not able to rapidly fix them faster. So we technically end up with less secure images today than we would have had two years mm. ago. That was, to me was not a great statistic and trend. So I don't know what we're going to do about it as an industry. So open telemetry, another mm -hmm. trend of 2022. Let's talk about it. So open telemetry was the, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, was the second most popular open source project in the CNCF out next to Kubernetes, right? So Kubernetes is obviously the main one, but open telemetry was the second most popular, which indicates how much attention observability is getting these days. Right. Prometheus being the third most popular. So both Laura and I have this on the list. Would love to get Laura's thoughts on open telemetry and why do we think it's the second most popular? Yeah, I really felt like this year, similar to like GUIs everywhere, I thought this was like open telemetry everywhere. I have been a big fan. Obviously, I'm a very big metrics person, so it was always something that I was keeping a pulse on. But I've just gotten more people bring it up in conversation, the announcement with Datadog. There's just been a lot of movement around it. And yeah, what is driving people to be so interested in it? I think, you know, I think of a couple of reasons. One is that we've kind of, we've gotten to a point of maturity where people can care about optimization and things, because I think realistically, that's not always part of the, you know, first it's whatever, make it work 
make it fast then make it pretty or whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) whatever order it goes into but like make it work is always first so you've got to get into you got to cross some level of maturity i think the other thing is like now i've noticed in general in the last six months especially year that there's just been such an emphasis on optimization and doing more with less and i think this open Mm -hmm. telemetry story also plays into that as well where like we're not in a boom season right now we're trying to really optimize what we do have, make it better, more efficient, cost less, have a smaller footprint, more efficient workflows for our teams. And you can do all of that with open telemetry. Yeah. So you know? I concur. Yeah. I agree. The thing that there's this quote and I love it. It's that the something better than perfection is standards. And to me, open mm-hmm. telemetry is like the embodiment of that, which is I think there was a proliferation, if you will, of observability mm-hmm. tooling in the last decade aimed at the complex, dynamic microservices-based distributed application architectures that we're deploying on the cloud now. And the old school Nagios-based like observability, mm-hmm. yeah, Nagios, remember that? Based yeah. observability of infrastructure was not able to handle that anymore. And there's a hard pivot to adapting to these more dynamic you know, application architectures and there were, that brought about a rise in the data dogs, the Dynatraces, the new relics, and all the observability tooling. And for every legitimate business transaction or piece of data that's going through your environment, you know, Kubernetes just by itself is a observability data generating machine, <laughs> first and foremost, right? So right. all these pieces are generating tons of different types of observability data, metrics, events, logs, traces, or logs, and maybe your application is being traced. And I I think people were starting to wanting to optimize the observability data and also start to use different tools with different features to visualize and analyze that and alert off that data. And that's what's driving the demand for a standard representation of that data and implementation of collecting that information that then can be, you know, input and output, imported, exported to different visualization and analytics tools and learning tools. And it's really exciting to see that the major vendors have adopted open telemetry standards. The log spec just went stable. So logs are going to be part of open telemetry soon in the near future. The community is looking at other types of observability data, like profiles, like think flame graphs, events. And I think it's very exciting to be able to fine tune and really get to tackle the gnarly problem that is observability on these dynamic architectures for sure. So I think that's what's really driving it. And it's exciting to see the amazing work in the open around open telemetry. So don't sleep on it, everyone. <laughs> it's, it's a thing. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's hot. Yeah. Yep. It's not, and it's not just a checkbox of, I did it. I did open telemetry. Yeah. I love the standardization of all this stuff and being able to allow us to plug and play. That, that, that's just, that's so key. It was all, it, it, it always used time. to be, you had to choose your ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. Like, are you on Datadog? Well, then you have to only do the things that Datadog can do. And are you on like Nagios yeah. or yeah, whatever, Splunk or whatever you have like that. You're in locked in their walled garden. I love the ideas that we could possibly start mixing and matching tools and whatnot, if that's going to mm-hmm. end up being what it's about. Carpenter. So we had a show on Carpenter. Yeah. I just wanted to briefly mention it's, we're seeing rapid adoption of the Carpenter open source project as a alternate to cluster autoscaler and check it out. 
there's some there's new versions coming out quite frequently and one of the latest features is especially right now we're seeing a lot of folks back to laura's point you know looking at optimization cost optimization trying to look at you know how to get the most out of performance out of their existing infrastructure how to scale up and scale down performantly that scale down is very tricky at times and so there's a lot of new features in Carpenter on no termination handling, consolidation of workloads and your Kubernetes infrastructure. I highly recommend, especially if you're on AWS EKS, to take a look at Carpenter for optimizing your infrastructure. But I think we're going to see more of a trend around these types of tools that are aimed at optimization for sure. Like you said, Laura, I think that's probably going to be the 2023 theme if I was, I was forced to pick one. I agree. I agree. Optimization, I think not just in terms of technical optimization, but I think I'm seeing such a push toward team optimization, working more efficiently in general, whether that's, you know, cost reduction in cloud services or getting more work done with the same amount of people. Yeah. It's like the trend of our career, getting more done with less people. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I did read some statistics in those surveys about everyone having serious like staffing issue is like their number one reason why they can't become more agile or they can't adopt new things mm -hmm. or you know increase automation all those the reasons they were giving for all those things was we have you know we're missing a third of the people we need to do that or we have for every mm -hmm. position we only have one third of them filled and like crazy statistics that i was reading about just the lack of staff which bodes well for those of us yeah. in the in this community and trying to keep up because it means it's not going to be yeah. that hard for you to get a job. But it does mean when you get that job, you may not be able to do everything you want to do because you ain't got people to help you. Yeah. <laughs> you you Is this a good there. segue, Brett, into our discussion yes. about AI taking Ooh. our jobs? Because I, you know. <laughs> yes. I thought we were all going to be replaced. How do you know I'm not a breaks. robot? How do you? Mm. You know what, Normal? I've asked myself that <laughs> since the day we met. <laughs> all right. So we're the great segue into our last segment. This is going to be like the rest of the show, basically. We just felt like there's so much going on in machine learning, AI, data platforms that we could easily do a whole show on this. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely something that happened this year. Obviously, none of this stuff is new, but it's like it's sort of approaching the zeitgeist peak sort of average citizen awareness, because I felt like between mm -hmm. the between like we just had the chat GPT release. And that, of course, is all over Twitter and the grams and everything else like are all showing that stuff. And, you know, the image generation with wasn't Wally or whatever, oh, or Dolly, Dolly. and yeah, and Dolly. And now, mm -hmm. Yeah. And now we have the stable diffusion version two release. Like these are now becoming apps and features in our apps all day long. And it's all backed up by all this AI machine learning stuff, data platforms that we're all running. And the world is now actually seeing the output of that. So I feel like there's two topics for us to talk about. One is like the consumerization of all this tech we've all been experimenting with for a decade. And they, you know, no one cared that it was, there was machine learning behind Google features. It's now only when they can actually see it in an app and understand that, that it's a visual difference or it's an AI talking with them in a generative AI or whatever. And there's that. Mm -hmm. And then there's those of us in DevOps that are now starting to see tools to help us do our jobs developers, DevOps, operators, whatever, all have tools. And I, that's one of the things I saw from KubeCon was the trend. You know, I lost count of the number of companies that had AI somewhere on their 
expo hall marketing, right? It was like AI everywhere. Everyone's like, it's like at least four or five that I saw with a .ai domain. I actually made a big list of them, you know, Kubaya, Slim AI, Roost AI, Union AI, basically Kubeflow as a service, cost optimization stuff with Cast AI, Run AI for GPU orchestration. There's just a lot and they're all running on these AI platforms. So let's talk about the DevOps stuff first and then we can get to the fun stuff. Not that this isn't fun. It's all fun, Brett. But I have some gifts for you related to images. So what have either one of you actually played around with anything claiming to be AI in the DevOps space. I haven't so much other than slim AI. And I feel like the word AI just kind of just means a feature. It's like, okay, it's smarter. <laughs> it's making the decision better for me than I don't have to make. So me and you, did, I think we did the co-pilot show together. Yeah. I've used chat GPT for some Kubernetes stuff just to kick the tires on it. And it was pretty yeah. good. But there was a comment around, I think I saw the Venn diagram. I'm going to misquote this, but it was like really good for like, you know, autocomplete or something like that. But then in the middle of the Venn diagram was like really hard bugs that, you know, if you don't know anything, you're, you're never going to find. Yeah. So like the, this is the eternal problem, right? Like you need to know a certain amount of depth to know what you're looking at with respect to auto-generated content. Yeah. And that's where it gets really murky and tricky. Yeah. Um, I think the key here is that you still need to know if what was generated is appropriate or not. And that decision-making is not being supplanted by, by a robot. So it's uh, not that there's not a need for an intelligent human. It's just massively boosting productivity of a human. I'm like, I'm very jaded perhaps is the right word but anytime i see ai mentioned like as a feature i'm just like based on whose definition because you know how many like if then statements do you need before it's ai or how big does your data set need to be before it's ai when before it was just like you know we're just analyzing data and especially if you read how this is covered in for example publications like harvard business review versus the new stack the threshold for what counts as AI is just like vastly different. So I'm always mm -hmm. just a little skeptical. But yeah, Brett, this is such a great, a great thing about Scott Hanselman really advocating for the role of human beings. I think in short, it's like, well, where do you, yes, you can use chat GPT to like pull out stuff off from Stack Overflow and make it easier. So you don't have to spend a lot of time Googling or searching for what you were doing. But like, who do you think's writing all the, that the model is trained on. It's not another model. It's not just generating all of the stuff. It's organic, homegrown bot farms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Scott Hanselman, legendary Microsoft engineer. He's on TikTok basically responding to people that are saying, well, this is amazing. I can do code. I can do all these things in ChatGPT. Stack Overflows out. Oh, you know, oh, it's dead. It's going to be replaced. And his, his basically response is like you're saying, it's like, these things, first, they're confidently wrong all the time. They're just as, just as confident about their errors as they are about their correct form. And they're also, you know, Stack Overflow is necessary so that you can generate the intelligence for the AI. So I think like Nirmal and I looked at a year and a half ago, these are going to be very useful tools that are going to help us all do more in our job faster. Yeah. There are maybe very niche jobs where eventually, maybe in five years, maybe 10 years, AI can technically replace those jobs. 
But I still feel like really what it's doing is it's just allowing humans to scale better. And whether you're mm -hmm. a writer, a blog writer, a, a friend of mine, a friend of ours, a Brian Christner actually generated, he used Jasper to generate a DevOps blog article and send it out to his team, not telling them that he it was fully Jasper AI generated. And they all read it and said, yeah, it looks good. I looked at it <laughs> and it was fine. It was fine. But I always find that these things are not very specific. They're very vague and hand wavy whenever there's like, if you ask it, say, explain DevOps or whatever. It's going to do it in a very hand wavy way. It's going to be like the Wikipedia first three lines, something, and it's not going to mm -hmm. give you depth of insight or any, certainly not any hot takes or anything that's going to be a new idea, right? That's the problem yeah. is that <laughs> it's not really creating new ideas. We can argue about that, that the imagery is new ideas, <laughs> the visual generation of images and stuff, but. To close the loop on why this relates to DevOps, not only are these tools starting to be used by dev developers for helping them, you know, helping us scale our productivity, but these machine learning models are developed on tools like Kubernetes in containers. Mm -hmm. And another big trend this past year has been data on Kubernetes is like definitely a thing. So things like Kafka, Spark, Kubeflow, Ray, I think you have a whole other list of all the AI tools or the machine learning tools that you can run on Kubernetes. Let's not miss the forest for the trees with respect to that. My potential mm -hmm. natural evolution for a lot of our jobs is going to be running machine learning workloads and data yep. workloads on the yep. uh, using these tools. So that's the other aspect of this is it's going to be unavoidable from all directions, right? Both from like the, mm -hmm. the abstraction interface new tool level, like chat GPT, Dolly, Copilot, but also the infrastructure tools that we're going to be optimizing for are going to be these types of workloads in the future, yeah, today and in the future. And I think we'll see that too. Like you'll probably see that on this show as we have more episodes on AI companies, AI startups, AI projects, machine learn, you know, running ML ops on Kubernetes. Like they have entire days at KubeCon now around AI and ML. These are things that like, we're going to be on both sides of it as DevOps people, right? We're going to be consuming it and also running it. And who knows, 2023 is going to be a great year. So more AI, more ML ops, more everything automation. Awesome. All right. Awesome. Do you know where to find us all, by the way, on the internet? So thank you, Laura. Thank you, Nermal, for being here. This has been a great show as always. And we will do this again next year, hopefully. Thank you so much, Brett. Thank all you, right. Brett. Happy New Year. We will see you all. Bye, everybody. Thanks, see you Laura. soon. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.